0: the horizon it's ringing through the heavens come on the way to savior come to set the captives free come to set the captives free come Come set us free cause hope has a name She's making really fun
1: Good morning and Merry Christmas. We're glad to see you here today. You know, I was thinking of, you can go ahead and be seated for a minute. I was thinking of all the names for Jesus and all the names for God that are so um, prolific, I guess, around Christmas time. And that song talked about Emmanuel. So we're gonna have a little test. Emmanuel means three words, and I want you to say it with me when I count to three, if you know the answer. Emmanuel means God with us, Amen. And He is with us. A lot of different names for the Lord at Christmas time. One little boy came home from church, and his mom was saying, "What'd you learn today?" He said, "We were learning about the names of God." And uh, she said, "Well, what do you think?" And he said, "Well, I'm kind of confused about the name Harold, Harold uh, for God." And The mom said i don't think that's one of the names of god he said yes it is the teacher said our father who art in heaven herald be thy name (laughs) thy kingdom come okay you know that one all right but uh we're glad we have emmanuel who is god with us who never leaves us or forsakes us the four themes of advent are joy hope peace and love And that song reminded us of the hope we have in Christ. We don't have to despair. Uh, Even when circumstances are difficult, we can have the joy of Jesus because we have the hope of eternal life, abundant life. Now eternal life forever. Praise the Lord. We're glad you're in church tonight. We have church at eight o'clock, our annual Christmas Eve service. That, that may be redundant to say annual Christmas Eve, right? because Christmas Eve is automatically annual, but we are having a service tonight at eight, usually lasts right about an hour. We end that out with a candle lighting deal, uh, singing silent night usually. And everybody gets to hold either an electric candle, battery powered or a real fire candle Isn't that fun. And we, we do our best not to drip wax on the seats or the floor. Because remember, only the unlit candle gets tilted. The candle, all that, well, you'll get all those instructions tonight. Be here and join us. Kids, come in your uh, jammies. Adults, wear your jammies to Walmart, not to church, okay? (laughs) All right. The kids can come in pajamas, but, you know, we adults, we want to look real snazzy, like people that wear ugly Christmas sweaters. Do I see any today? I don't think. No, every every sweater I see is amazingly beautiful. And your faces are too, and it's great to be together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for inviting us into your house today. We know the invitation is wide open. We're never excluded. We're never left out. You love every single one of us with an amazing love that we could never earn or deserve. That's just the kind of God you are. That's the kind of father you are. That's the kind of savior you are extending us that love and grace that we don't deserve. But Lord today, we gladly receive it. Bless the worship team as they lead us. May we all sing and worship together. Bless Pastor Mark as he preaches the word. Make this a great day of celebration, Christmas Eve day, and help us to worship the newborn king, the one who makes all the difference in our lives. We love you, Lord, and thank you for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand again as we worship together.
0: to i
2: Father, this time of year is a lot of mixed emotions for a lot of people. It's a lot of rush. It's a lot of busyness. It's a lot of stress for some. Maybe it's not the greatest, happiest time of the year for others. But, Father, I know that one thing is true, that, that you sent your son into this world so all of that stuff could become secondary to the glory of your Your creation and your son and, and what he eventually will do for our sins, Lord. And so today we celebrate the birth of Christ. Father, we have gathered today, not, and, and really it echoes all throughout the year, but Father, we gather today just to worship you. Father God, we worship you because you saw us worthy to send your son here. And Jesus, we thank you for the life that you live to show us how we can live in a relationship with you. And So this morning, Lord, I pray that everything that we say and do, the songs that we have sung to the words that we're about to hear from Pastor Mark, that everything will bring glory honor to you today father we love you we thank you and we praise you and right now we pause and we put everything else aside and we're here to worship you father bless pastor mark as he comes i pray that you would bless him lord from the the bottoms of his feet to the top of his head and may everything that that we do we hear may appoint to you jesus we love you today and it's in your name that we pray and all god's people said amen you may be seated
3: Well good morning church. I'm glad that you're here today. If you're visiting with us my name is Mark and I'm one of the pastors here and it's my privilege to fill this pulpit uh, about 40 plus times uh, a year and I'm thankful to be able to fill it on on this Sunday and to be able to speak about uh, the greatest story that's really ever been told uh, I guess next to the resurrection and so we are um, uh, we'll be here at night 8 o'clock and uh, contrary to some rumors going around Elvis will not make an appearance tonight. <laughs> Elvis has left the building <laughs> never to return and if you don't know what i'm talking about there's probably a youtube video hidden way down in the caverns of youtube somewhere if you ever want to uh, see that but we'll be here tonight and we have a great time we have something for everybody tonight and i hope that you can join us tonight at eight o'clock usually pretty crowded and people start getting here by 7 uh, 30 or so so we hope that you can make it tonight also wanted to say And I'm not really prepared to say this because I can't remember the date. What date did y'all give me, Scott and Simp? I I think on Sunday, January the 21st, and if that's not right, it's the third Sunday in January, okay? We've got a marriage small group that's going to start up, and Scott and, and Simp are going to be able to lead that. They're going to use family life material, and if you're familiar with Christian stuff, then you're probably familiar with family life. And so um, if you would like to be in a, a marriage, uh, a small group that's going to meet in, during the first service and then attend the second service, that's going to start the third week in January. We're going to have some, a lot of stuff to promo that, and uh, so that's coming up. But I just kind of wanted to put that in the back of your mind, and you can uh, start uh, thinking about that. Um, when we come to Christmas uh, and the Christmas message... Um, you know, I, can I be quite honest with you why it's it's always fun to preach Christmas? It's Sometimes it's difficult after 29 years of preaching to preach Christmas because there's a limited amount of material. And I feel like I preach the same thing every year, which is probably okay. Um, but, uh, you know, if you added up the number of verses in Scripture that speak to the Christmas story, there's not a whole lot. So as I look each year and try to find something and kind of new and different to be able to to do sometimes it's rather difficult for me but as I was reading through this the story in Matthew 1 and in Luke chapter 1 and 2 again and trying to find something I, I found some things I wasn't looking for because when you go to the Christmas story you look for a baby and you look for a manger and you look for stars and you look for shepherds and you you look for uh, angels, you look for wise men, and of course all of that is there. But as you, as I was really trying to read between the lines or read it very, very carefully, because I think sometimes we, we don't read the story carefully because we've heard the story over and over and over again. But as I was trying to read it very carefully, I found some things that I wasn't looking for. I was looking for the traditional things that you find at Christmas, But as I looked, I found some things that some people would call serendipities. Serendipities is, is, you know, it's like you lost you lost a um, a quarter, uh, and you look into the down into the between the couches to find the quarter, and you find a twenty dollar bill. Okay, that's a serendipity. Okay, You, you find something pretty cool that you weren't really looking for, and that's happened to all of us in life, in some way. A lot of the discoveries that we have had. Uh, that science has given us have been serendipities. When they were actually looking for something else and they have found something they weren't really looking for. Uh, Back in the uh, 50s, I think, they were working with, with, with rubber and trying to to make a, a, a synthetic type of rubber and it was it was too elastic and it wasn't really doing much and they weren't getting anywhere and all of a sudden somebody had an idea and they put it in an egg and 300 million plus eggs later we have silly putty <laughs> you would be shocked to read if you, if you would google serendipities or. Um, google uh, discoveries and and serendipities to read the things that have been discovered kind of by accident Um, there was there was an engineer that was working with with radars and he noticed as he was working with radars that the chocolate bar he had in his pocket melted and his brain that was a lot smarter than mine and thinks a lot differently than mine he went and got uncooked popcorn and put it in his pocket and it started popping And microwave ovens microwave ovens were discovered um, an engineer was was walking in the woods and noticed that some f- seeds off of this plant they, they stuck to his pants and they stuck to his dog's hair. And when he, when he, when he grabbed those and, and, and looked at them, he took them under the microscope and looked at those things that were sticking to this dog's hair and sticking to his pants. And after eight years of studying it, Velcro was discovered. You'd be shocked. You don't have anything to do this weekend... Google. It's amazing. Well as I was reading through the story in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 I found some serendipitous things. Things I wasn't really looking for but were pretty cool anyway. So in Christmas we we, 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 we learn about the, the, the gift of the Savior and we learned uh, about the, the angels being able to announce that and all of that. But also as I was looking at the story, I found out that the Christmas story teaches us about something really, 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 really important. As if Jesus' birth is not. But the Christmas story teaches us about grace And teaches us about truth, which is an unbelievably important concept in our Christian lives. And you've heard me over and over and over. And until I preach my last sermon, you will continue to hear me over and over and over talk about grace and truth. Because there's no better way to explain Jesus as this one in John 1.14 that says came full of grace and truth. So the mission statement of our denominations is to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. Okay, And there's no better definition of Christ-likeness than grace and truth because Jesus came full of grace and truth. You could say Jesus is a lot of other things and you would be 100% right. But it says very plainly that Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And this Christmas story teaches us about that. And if we're going to live a Christ-like life, which you can't read the Bible without seeing that we're called to live a very different life, and you can put a lot of names on that, and I think Christ-likeness is about as good as anything that you can find. (laughs) If you think about it, there's very little in the Bible about going to heaven. There's a whole lot of, in the Bible that now that you are Christian, this is how I want you to live. <laughs> that doesn't minimize the unbelievable salvation story that came into my life on August 29, 1993. <laughs> but you just, you can't deny that when you read God's word, there's just the overwhelming evidence is that he has called us to something more than just waving our ticket to heaven he's called us to something more than just saying hey i'm saved i was baptized you know i made my professional faith or whatever you want to say if august the 29th 1993 was the only thing that god ever did in my life i guess that would be pretty cool but there's a whole other life to be lived and what God has called us to is a life of Christ-likeness and that's best described, not the only way, it's best described as being full of grace and full of truth. Here's what, and I, I'm, I'm repeating myself but, but some of you are slow learners, okay? So I, I, need, to, I need to repeat myself. Um, most of us lean toward truth Or lean toward grace. That's just our natural inclinations. Some of us are so kind and so gracious and so full of love and so full of mercy that being gracious comes very easily for us. But for those people's areas of truth, they come harder. Because you know what the truth does, friends the truth divides. The truth does not bring together. The truth does not unite. The truth always divides with people who are living in the truth and people who are not living in the truth. And people who are, are, are by their DNA, are gracious and loving and kind and all of that kind of stuff, they find it very easy to be full of grace. And I wish I was more like that. There's There's probably a reason that when you when the board is looking for a new candidate you know we you know i'm going to retire here in about a year and a half or whatever it is and you know and they listed the characteristics of a new ca- candidate there probably is no coincidence coincidence that one of them was tender-hearted because the guy you got is not very tender-hearted okay <laughs> and i'm not saying that to brag about it i'm just saying that's my dna and because i lean toward truth i have to intentionally Lean toward grace. Because my DNA makes me a truther, I have to lean toward grace, just like someone else's DNA makes them a gracer. If I can say that, they have to lean toward truth. But the the key to this thing is is grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth. And we find in Matthew chapter 1, we find familiar words of a christmas story but we find words that teach us about this grace and truth so matthew chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 these are familiar words to you this is how the birth of jesus the messiah came about his mother mary was pledged to be married to joseph but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the holy spirit in verse 19 says because joseph her husband was faithful to the law other translations, translations will say he is a righteous man and yet did not want to expose her to public d- disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now let's read that 19th verse again. And by the way, when, when God sovereignly picked out Mary and Joseph, he didn't do a holy eeny, meeny, miny, mo. I think he intentionally chose these two. And I think this verse tells us maybe a little bit about a man in Scripture we don't know much about. We we hardly have any... Isn't that amazing? The stepfather, the guy that raised him, we have very little information about him. But here it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. That would have been the Old Testament law. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Why was he going to divorce her? Because that's what the law said. That's what it said back there in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that he had to do this and he was faithful to the law. Truth. Truth. But the scripture says he had in mind to divorce her quietly grace he could have gone around and and all of his pharisaical friends all of his righteous friends all of his um, godly friends at least godly in the way we understood it in the old testament he could say hey look how godly i am i'm going to get rid of her kick her right out man this engagement is over with look at me pat me on my back the bible said he was going to do the right thing listen Bible says he's going to do the right thing, at least in the right in the way that he understood it. But he's going to do it in the right way. Don't miss that. It's not enough to do the right thing. It must be done in the right way. It must be done with the right attitude. It must be done with the right motive with the right intent what more could be christ's likeness what more could be living a holy life than my motives and my intent have been god has done such a number on those things that i can do things for the right reasons you know what it's not hard to do the right thing you just gotta suck it up and do it it's really not this is not hard to do the right thing I'm going to tell a story on you, Levi. I didn't ask your permission, but get over it, okay? All right. (laughs) Levi's had a little trouble getting out of bed this week. You know? And we talked a little bit about it, and he wanted some advice on how to get out of bed. I said, I don't know, just get out. It's not hard. Just get out of bed. It's not hard to do the right thing. Supposed to, you know, if you've got to be at work, get out of bed. Get out of bed. It's not hard to do the right thing, but it's hard to do the right thing with the right motive, with the right intent. That's a God thing. Because if we all were to be honest, our motives are mixed. And they're mixed because we're human. And I need a healthy dose of prayer to God to say, God, Make the reasons I do the right things, make them right as well. You all know what I'm talking about. God, the Holy Spirit is faithful right now to bring something to your mind. That maybe you did the right thing, but you didn't really do it for the right reason. Maybe you did it to get noticed, and maybe you did it so somebody could pat you on the back. Or maybe, I don't know what it was. did not make any difference what it was. We've all been there. Joseph was going to do the right thing, at least what he understood to be the right thing, okay? Divorce her. But he was going to do it quietly so he wouldn't put her to public disgrace. He was going to do it quietly so he wouldn't embarrass her. Grace, truth. Truth, grace. What's it mean to be Christ-like? The best description is full of grace and full of truth. We'll never reach that on this earth, but we can pray for that and be cognizant of that and know where our natural leanings are. And if I know my natural leanings is toward truth, then I've got to lean toward grace. And if I know my natural leanings are toward grace, I've got to lean toward truth because the truth is spiritual. Both of them. Both of them. So I don't know. um, uh, You know, a lot of people come to my office over 29 years of ministry and say, you want to know the right thing to do. You know what I I found out on a lot of those people? They already know the right thing to do. They're just not sure they want to do it. So in all of our lives... What's, what's it mean to be Christ-like? It's a big deal, man, to do the right thing in the right way. Me, this is Mark speaking. I'm going to step way away from this pulpit right now. So I'm going to say this is Mark speaking. I kind of think it might be more important to do it the right way because the Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Even if my humanity, I do the wrong thing in my humanity, I, I don't do it really as good as I should have done it. The Father knows my heart. The Father knows my heart. So, I come to the Christmas story and I look for mangers and babies and angels and all that, and that's well and good. That's great. We just sang all about that. But I also come to the Christmas story and see that it teaches me about one of the most important lessons that I could ever learn it's about how to go about my Christian life. And that is as simple but as complex as going about it by doing the right thing with the right motive with the right intent grace and truth <laughs> I continue to read and found something else that doesn't really it's not part of the mangers and the angels and all that kind of stuff as, as I read about the birth of Christ, I find out that the Christmas story teaches us about discipleship. It, it teaches us about discipleship. Yeah, there's all these other stuff there, in a the manger, and the cattle, and no room in the inn, and all that other stuff. That's all there. But the story itself, if you read it, and if you're a desperate preacher like me and didn't want to preach something that you've already done before, and If you wanted to preach something, you read it really carefully. And I saw where the discipleship, the Christmas story is about discipleship. In the second chapter of Matthew, let me read a a more lengthy passage than I would normally read to you. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the jews we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him verse 3 when king herod heard this he was disturbed and all of jerusalem with him when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law he asked them where the messiah was to be born the christ you do know Jesus' last name is not christ if you, t- if you technically, we don't do this, and it's okay that we don't. We say Jesus Christ. But if we re- said that the right way, we would have said Jesus the Christ. It means Messiah. It means Messiah. So where was the Messiah to be born? Where was the Christ to be born in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then verse 6 was a passage from the Old Testament that I left out. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi wise men secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So he told them to do the right thing, but he didn't tell them for the right reason. Because he he didn't want to worship them, he wanted to kill him. And report to me so i can go worship him after they had heard the king they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was when they saw the star they were overjoyed on coming to the house they saw the child his mother mary and they bowed down and worshiped him they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh and having been listen I read all that to get to verse twelve. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. What's it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What's it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I was a young Christian and I heard a Southern gospel group talking about living a different way, and the story they told was of the Magi, who didn't go back the same way, they went back a different way. Glory to God for the change that he makes in your life. They, they, they went back home, but they went a different route. When I knelt at a, well, excuse me, I didn't kneel at an altar. It just kind of happened to me on August 29th, 1993, Calvary Baptist Church, Danville, Illinois. When I left that church that morning and went to my car, I went to the same house, apartment, but I went a different person. And I started walking a different route. And that's what discipleship is. That's what discipleship is. Being warned in a dream, they didn't go back the same way, they went home a different route. <laughs> that's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Of course, that's, that's the Great Commission that we find in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and, and, and 20 at the end of Jesus' earthly. Life, he says to disciples, all authority in heaven has been given to me, therefore go. There's a a lot right there that get off the subject, but that really should be translated as you are going, okay? It's not, go, or I'm going to get you. You better go. Go, 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 go. You Christian, you're not going enough. If you look at Sue, spent twenty two thousand dollars put me through seminary. Okay, and so I learned a little bit about Greek language and that word. It's not a bad translation. It's just not accurate. It, as good as it can be. It's, it's as you are going, as you are going, as you are going. And what should you do as you're going? Make disciples. That's that's the main verb of the whole sentence. The verb is not to go. The the, the main verb is to make the disciples. The others are called participles. Aren't you getting blessed right now? The others are called participles. They, they, They give meaning to the main verb, which is make disciples. And how do you make disciples? By going. By baptizing, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. Got it, Amy? And teaching them to obey everything. One more time, Amy, thank you. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. The deal here is making disciples. The meal is making disciples. Well, I've led 500 people to the Lord. (laughs) Got a notch on my belt, buddy. The deal is how many disciples have we made. Now part of disciple making is salvation. It absolutely is. It's a prerequisite, foundational. But the the deal here is as you are going to make disciples. And the words there are, are baptizing. That speaks of the initial decision that we make. And teaching them to obey everything. And that word obey struck out at me because as I read more about Joseph, I find out in Matthew 1, 24, that the Bible tells us about Joseph. says, when Joseph woke up from a dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. He did. So he was going to divorce her and put her away quietly, but the next verse that I did read says, after he considered this, which means he gave time for the angel to give him a dream that says, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. And when he woke up from the d- dream, he did. He obeyed. You, just, you can't get around discipleship, friends. It's just doing what you're supposed to do. Not doing it in the right way. He did. Do you know how costly that was for Joseph? you know how costly that obedience was for Joseph? Do you know how he got la- laughed at by all of his Jewish friends? You know how many people made fun of him because he wasn't doing what they thought God would want him to do? Discipleship's not easy many times. Discipleship is, is when you have to kind of turn the back on the crowd sometimes. Turn the back on your friends sometimes. One of the major reasons I find people want to come to Christ is because they won't break from their friends. So Joseph woke from the dream, and he did. That's discipleship. He did. He obeyed. He did what the Lord told him to do. Matthew chapter two, verses thirteen and fifteen. In the next chapter of the story, when they when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Verse fourteen says. So he got up, took the child and his mother during that night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of he did as the Lord wanted him to do and fulfill what the prophet said from the Old Testament it says out of Egypt I have called my son on down in Matthew chapter 2 speaking of Joseph again after Herod died the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said get up take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's Life are now dead. So he got up, took the child and the mother, and went to the land of Israel. This is discipleship. This is following God. This is being obedient. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means as you go. It means to baptize and teach them to obey. In verses 22 and 23 of Matthew chapter 2 are next. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. So it was fulfilled what was said in the Old Testament, that he would be called a Nazarene. Okay? Technically, I've told you this, we're not the Nazarene church. We're the church of the Nazarene. I mean, everybody calls us Nazarene church. and That's fine. You're not going to break that. But we're called the church of the Nazarene. Did you see what he did? He did what the Lord wanted him to do. He did what the Lord wanted him to do. He got up and did what the Lord wanted him to do. He didn't pick Joseph on any, any, mini miny mo. He found somebody that was a righteous man who was going to do the right thing, but was going to do it in the right way. And he found someone that would be obedient, even pretty difficult obedience. That's who he's looking for. That's who he's looking for. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for disciples. The, word is, the, the Greek word is matheteos. It, it means learner. It means learner. What do I do on Sunday morning? I preach and I teach. I teach and I preach. I preach and I teach. I teach and I preach. Both of them are important. Teaching them to obey all things the Great Commission says to us. We, we go to the Christmas story and Expect to find some things, but if you look real carefully, you'll you find grace and truth, which is a hallmark of the Christian life, was a hallmark of what it means to be in a disciple. And we look a little further, and we see this object lesson of a disciple, Joseph, who not only did things in the right way, he, he just he repeatedly obeyed. Against all odds, he obeyed. Against the no doubt the scorn of his friend the scorns of his family God, I'm going to tell you this you're, Sue's going to be mad at me for saying that <laughs> I got in the car this morning and my it was already the radio was already on my favorite country station and so it was on it was Bo Cephas was singing you, you, know who Bo, you know who Bo Cephas is you bunch of sinners, you. <laughs> so I said, well, I probably shouldn't listen to Bo Cephas on the way to church. I'll be thinking about my message. But for some reason, I left Bo Cephas on. And he was singing about how much he's done in his life that he's messed up. And he says it was just a family tradition. And I start, you know, you know and I'm not going to say God spoke to me. Because, you know, I I get upset when everybody says, God told me this, God told me that. He can speak, but I'm not sure God spoke or or if my brain just started working good. I don't know. But I said, but it just came to my thought, you know why a bunch of people don't come to Christ? It's family tradition. They have to break from family. And that's not easy to break from family. I didn't have to break from family. I didn't have to break from family. But for people to break from family, you know what they got to do? If they got a break from family, they've got to basically say, my mom and dad were wrong. And that's not easy. The way they raised me and what they taught me was not the right way. And we wonder why it's so hard for some people to come to Christ. I think about our people on our Kinsey campus that are stuck in generational stuff. And how hard it is for somebody to stand up and say, I want to break this cycle. And when they stand up and say, break this cycle, they really have to turn their backs on their family. And no doubt get scorned because of that, get called self-righteous because of that. But somewhere, somebody's got to break the cycle. Or as Bo says, I'll just keep rolling smokes because it was a family tradition. When I get drunk and sing all night long, it's just a family tradition. I'm so glad I didn't turn that song off this morning. Because God, 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 God ministered to me through it. Glory to God. <laughs> well, I thought Jesus came to bring peace and bring everybody together. He, he says, I've come to bring a sword. And he says, father, well, father and mother will break from their kids. Families will be torn. Read it, it's there. We don't like that part of the verse. But what it means is, if you accept Christ, you can't keep going the same way you were going. And when you go another way, those people many times closest to you that don't want to walk that way, they won't like it. And that's why God says, if you're going to get married, you better marry somebody in the faith that is on the same road you are. Because you'll sabotage your marriage. How'd I get to that, Harold? I was talking about Christmas. I don't know how I got to that. (laughs) We're talking about serendipities. Things that you find that you're really looking for, but they're pretty cool. And as I read it again, Expecting to find one of the greatest stories ever told, I found that the Christmas story teaches me about history. You know, some of the great fairy tales that we have, whether they, whatever fairy tales you learned when you were a kid, and Rumpelstiltskin and, and all of those fairy tales, you know they all started the same way, didn't they? Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, or wh- 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 how Star Wars start in galaxies far, far away, or something like that. We don't get that out of the Christmas story <laughs> because Matthew one one starts the Christmas story. And it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Son of Abraham. I got a little happy this week when I saw that. Once upon a time, land far, far away, no, it anchors Jesus in history and says from the very start of the Christmas story, the first 17 verses of the Christmas story are 17 of the most boring verses you'll ever read in your life. We used, to call, yeah, we used to call them the baguettes. Right? And before we start talking about this unbelievable story of angels and wise men and stars and no room in the inn and unbelievable stuff, the unbelievable tale that is. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a, it's, it's a coolest story as Cinderella and all that kind of stuff is. It anchors this story in this is the record of Jesus the Christ, son of Abraham and son of David. It anchors it right in history. <laughs> We're going to have a whole bunch of people here tonight they're not going to understand that. They're really not. It's just a story, man. It's, they come Christmas Eve because, you know, we'll sing familiar songs and get those good little feelings and all the kids will be up here. And, but what they're coming to hear is a part of history and God inspired the writer to say that by starting this story with historical data this is the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah he was a son of David and he was a son of Abraham Luke chapter 1 Matthew and Luke, we get most Christmas data. Look how Luke chapter 1 started. Luke, the, the physician, educated man, said, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first, who those from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the world. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of somebody I can't pronounce. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. How does Luke start his Christmas story? History. He said, "I've, I've taken an orderly, you hear that in Cinderella? Seven dwarfs, all that. You hear that kind of stuff? T- an orderly accounting. I investigated all this kind of stuff, Theophilus. I-, I investigated all this. Can I tell you that the Christmas story starts? Jesus enters the pages of the New Testament with historical data. He really lived. Here's the time he lived. Here's his lineage right here. (laughs) And it's not the Christmas story anymore, but when Luke gets done with the Christmas story and goes to Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Luke continues to go with history. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tatriarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tatriarch of whatever, and whatever, and Linus the Charlie Brown figure, or whatever that is right there. During the high priesthood of Anna and Caiaphas, the word of God came to the son of John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into the, went into the country around Jordan. To introduce John the Baptist, he gives you history of who this guy was and when it happened. This ain't no once upon a time. This is not in a land far, far away. And that's what people don't like about it. It's real, and it forces them to deal with this real person called the Christ. So easy to deal with Cinderella. We can enjoy Cinderella. We can read it to our kids. We can read Snow White and Seven Dwarfs to our kids, and we can say, what a nice little story. And our kids go to sleep, and we're so happy they finally went to bed, and all that kind of stuff. And, but it doesn't really affect our life. But Matthew and Luke says, we'll have none of this about this story. And we'll start both of the accounts of this story with historical data. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Christ. Son of David. Son of Abraham. Now, that should be reversed, actually. But man, I tell you, people will do anything not have to deal with a real person. Oh, they, they'll, they'll like the stuff we do tonight and sing about and they'll, they'll appreciate this and all that. But man, you've got to deal with a real person. That means it's got implications in my life. That means he may really be serious about this discipleship stuff this is a real person it's not Rumpelstiltskin or whoever and the fact the things that bring us so much joy the fact that this is rooted in history it's the very thing that causes people heartburn because when you preach the historical Jesus the historical Jesus No one doubts, no atheist, if he's got any clue, no atheist will will doubt or denounce there was a person called Jesus who was supposedly born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, and claimed to be the Messiah and was killed on a cross. No atheist will deny that that happened. They'll deny of who he really was. But because Jesus is real, And because this story that we talk about today and we'll talk about tonight is real, you got to deal with him. As I told you a few weeks ago, my favorite, my favorite, favorite picture of Billy Graham, and you can Google it and find it, is a young Billy Graham, and he's got his pulpit sitting right there, and he's like this, and he goes, what are you going to do with Jesus? Can't you see him saying it? Can't you see him in those L.A. crusades in the 40s that, that... ushered in his whole ministry, can't you see a young Billy Graham with lots of energy says, what are you going to do with Jesus? And that's a question both Matthew and Luke force us to deal with. Because when we go to the Christmas story, we find history. So my question to you is, <laughs> by way of Billy Graham, What are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with him? If he is who God's Word says he is, your life must change because of that. If not, you're just living in a delusion and just walking around Ignoring the claims of this faith <laughs> and if we if we deal with this in this kind of way we've got to come to grips with the fact that he is Savior and the fact that he is Lord have you done that? I mean, I mean really really done that If you, if you come to that grip today, if you come to the realization of that today, this would be the greatest Christmas you've ever had. I don't care if you don't get a single gift. You've received the greatest gift that could have ever have been given to you. Has that happened to you? I mean, really, really happened? <laughs> we usually serve communion after all of our messages to bring us Right to the cross is wherever message goes, but I told him on Christmas Eve we don't need to do that, and I, now I wish I hadn't have done it. Because Jesus, the historical Jesus, forces you to a decision. Have you made that? Young, old, anywhere in between, have you made that? Father. In just a moment, we're going to leave and start talking about Christmas and trees and gifts. And the Lord, this is the moment of what Christmas is all about. The the decision that we have to make is will he be our Savior and will he be our Lord? It's why you sent him. We are the reason for the season. You sent him for us. He had no reason to come if not for sinful man And I'd hate for another Christmas to go by and someone in this room or someone watching on the internet will let a Christmas go by with nothing but gifts and trees and Santa Claus. So, God, right now in the stillness of this moment where I believe your Holy Spirit is here, And moving amongst us. Would you move on those. Would you move on those. That need this message. And have never come to grips. With the reality. Of Jesus. With the historical Jesus. The Christ. And you would you make. This morning. On this Christmas Eve morning. May they receive. The greatest gift that has ever been given. And if they do, that'll be an act of your grace. You've opened our eyes. you've, You've shown us our need. Thank you for your grace. But may we respond to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you, um, if you responded that message and responded for the first time or the second or third time, I'd, I'd love to talk with you. Because this is what happens. You get in, in, the, in the emotion of this moment and if you don't do anything about it, it leaves. That's why this cannot be an emotional decision. This has to be a decision of the head and the heart. And if you've made that decision today, I, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love for you to send me an email. I, I, I'd love to talk you through this. Answer any questions that I can answer for you. Are you glad you came to church today? Yes. We all could have been somewhere else. I know that. And I hope that you're glad that you came and I hope the rest of your Christmas festivities are better because you started it this way today. We're going to be here tonight. We're going to do a lot of different things tonight. And, and hopefully, by the grace of God, we'll, we'll magnify the Christ child tonight. And I'll preach just a, a short, short message tonight on the one who's called Emmanuel, God with us and I'm I'm hoping that you'll come back and really enjoy this time with us tonight. Can we stand together please? Well as I say every single Sunday there's only two things we do as Christians and that's gather and scatter and so we've gathered thank you for doing that I hope you come back and gather tonight but now as, as you scatter, may you leave with this question. And I pray, and I pray if you've never answered this question, this question will haunt you until you answer it. What are you going to do with Jesus, the historical Christ? I love you all enough to tell you the truth. Hope to see you tonight.